Increasing complexity of healthcare, self-insured employers select TPAs or carriers based on a number of criteria and decide to work with a partner based on who can deliver value and showcase it. How can you as a TPA vendor or broker deliver and demonstrate value? Today, we welcome Larry Thompson. Larry focuses his more than 40 years of healthcare delivery experience on TPA strategy, revenue and growth, as well as client services. He was the co-founder and CEO at Invenivis, as well as president and CEO at BSI Consulting. Prior to joining BSI, he was regional president at POMCO and president of Health Insurance Company of America. He holds an MBA in finance from the University of South Florida and a BA in economics and management from Florida Presbyterian Eckerd College. Who better than Larry Thompson to share his wealth of knowledge on how to showcase the value that TPAs bring to this industry? In today's podcast, you will learn what self-insured employers are expecting from healthcare benefits in 2023, how they select and decide whether or not to continue working with a TPA, why it's hard to differentiate against BUCA carriers, and how you can showcase that value that you deliver in comparison to BUCA and capture it. This program is brought to you by the Healthcare Administrators Association, HCAA. For over 40 years, HCAA has supported third-party administrators and the self-insured employer industry through educational opportunities from leading industry experts. For information on joining HCAA, please visit our website at www.hcaa.org. Please like and share this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform so that we can build a community of like-minded professionals. Your host is Ramesh Kumar. He is on a mission to bring value to the healthcare industry through improved transparency. His goal through this podcast is to bring you one aha moment that you can implement in your business, whether you are a TPA, broker, or an employer. In his day job, Ramesh is the CEO and co-founder of ZakiPoint Health, which helps insured employers and their employees combine price transparency direction and value by delivering a digital front door for the members that proactively steer them. We are pleased to have Ikigai Growth Partners as our sponsor for today's podcast. Ikigai is a valued partner of HCAA. Ikigai is a growth consulting firm that works with two sister venture funds to find and support the growth of limited new companies in healthcare technology and tech-enabled services. If you are a part of the self-insurance industry and are looking to innovate, you might benefit from a relationship with Ikigai. And now, please welcome our host, Ramesh Kumar, and today's guest, Larry Thompson. Larry, I am so delighted to have you on our podcast today, and thank you so much for taking the time. Let me just just invite you to share a little bit of your story. Why should our listeners listen to you, particularly when it comes to this topic of TPAs delivering value and capturing value? Please share your journey. Ramesh, thank you for having me, first of all. It's wonderful to be here. And it's kind of funny when you say, why should TPAs listen to me? I kind of feel bad that they've been listening to me for 30 plus years as I've spoken all over the country. But really, I think it's because of my experience with TPAs. I bought and sold eight of them in my career. I've run three of them. I work with 50 plus of them now around the country. And as you know, I'm a past chairman of SIO and I've been deeply involved with HCAA as well. So I have a lot of experience in the TPA space, and I've been fascinated by how it has metamorphosized over the past three to five years. And I think we're looking at some very interesting landscape for TPAs in the coming three to five years. So I'm pretty excited about the topic and happy to offer my thoughts and opinions. 
Yeah, I think more than obviously your experience over the 30 years, what really excited me is your mindset and approach around you continue to learn. You've shared that at various industry conferences and earlier today as well when you were chatting. I think that mindset of curiosity and you just never know enough about what the future might hold. So I think that mindset is great. And with that, let me just ask for 2023, what are some of the exciting things to consider for the self-insured employer space and TPA space? What are your thoughts on 2023? I think in broad terms, we're going to see four or five things that are going to progress in 23. The first and probably most prominent right now is transparency. It's coming from many different angles, and I think we're going to see continued growth in transparency, which is needed in our industry. I think the second thing we're going to see is continued push towards cost management. I know you've done some podcasts on price transparency and various on different cost management tools. I think we're going to continue to see a lot of activity in that area. And then third thing I think we're going to see is a continued evolution in the pharmaceutical side of healthcare costs for self-funded employers. I think that's going to be a big change, and I can delve into that more as we go along. And then finally, I would say the other thing that I think you're going to start to see in 23 is a lot more vertical integration in the TPA. Maybe could you share what you mean by vertical integration? So as we have seen the consolidation in the TPA space, we now have some very large players, and those players are pretty myopically focused on attacking the ASO space. And if you're going to play in that space, um, you've got to have a vertically integrated solution, a solution that encompasses not just administration, not just cost management, not just pharmacy and PBM, but stop loss. And it's got to be all nicely packaged because the mid-market that really is the strength of that ASO spot, they require that. They have a lot of vendor fatigue. They don't want 50 different point solutions They want integration. So we're starting to see a move towards that in the larger TPAs. Absolutely. Well, this is great. Kind of four trends to keep in mind. Well, maybe we can double click a little bit on the other three as well. So transparency, cost management, and the evolution of Rx. What do you see really happening and how should TPAs look at this opportunity and what should they be doing? Transparency, obviously, you know, the Consolidated Act and some of the requirements for disclosure on the broker and advisor side, transparency that's now coming around PBMs and pharmacy. All of that information, and I say information, it's started out really as data, but we're seeing companies, even startups that are now translating that for employers into information. That information is going to become absolutely valuable in how employers and TPAs are going to modify their plans going forward and drive to lower cost and lower trend. So kind of using that transparency data to really drive that cost trend down. So you think TPAs will be responsible for it or they should become more active in it? They're going to be a central part of it simply because the TPAs control a lot of the data, the core data to a self-funded plan, claims, prescription drug claims, other data that comes in. So I think they're going to be 
for lack of better terminology, the ringmaster of a lot of that transparent information. But I caution TPAs to be very careful not to inundate your self-funded customers with data. They're not interested in data. They're interested in information that they can translate and use into better managing their self-funded plans. That's really important there. And I think when you're referring to customers, you're talking about the HR manager at that mid-market employer who should have a very easy, simple way of understanding the story behind the data. That and the CFO, a lot of considerations by mid-market self-funded employers is translated into millions and millions of dollars of spend. So it's absolutely important information be there. And as we get into some of your other questions, I'm going to talk a little bit about what is important in that data and how to sell that value to mid-market and smaller employers. So let's maybe then talk self-insured employers, CFO, the HR manager. What are they expecting from their healthcare benefits? Well, I think the primary reason that any employer looks at self-funding is they want to manage their healthcare costs better and more myopically. Secondly would be they want to customize those benefit offerings to match the needs of their specific members and employees. They want access to more information. We've all heard the Buka stories about them not being able to get the data that they want to have. Access to information and data is critical. More transparency. Hate, hate to keep beating that drum, but they're going to get more transparency from a self-funded plan than they would in a fully insured. More vertical integration, which we talked about. They're looking for that. And then the last thing I would say in the self-funded side that employers are looking for is they want credit from their stop-loss vendors for innovative cost management procedures that they put in place. They want the point solution vendors and the TPAs to go out and get the reinsurance carriers and MGUs to give the appropriate credit if they're going to make those changes and implement those plan designs. Let's come back to this a really important area of thinking and innovation. So if you were to take that question of what's expected of the TPA by the self-insured employer, how are employers or brokers selecting the TPA and how are they deciding to continue working with the TPA or not? Well, that's a great question. When you're in the self-funded space, I guess the first decision they have to make is do they want to go from insured to self-funded? And we've seen tremendous migration since ACA from insured to self-funded, which is tid to continue. And now I think the latest studies are showing that 65% of the private sector healthcare benefits are delivered through self-funded. So once you get to self-funded, then it gets to be a question Do you want to do an ASO plan that a carrier has, or do you want to go into a TPA? And I think it really depends on each employer. And I would define it this way. They need to first look at what are their needs. What are their specific needs for the plan, for information, et cetera? Secondly, how sophisticated are they? Because as a self-funded employer, you have certain fiduciary responsibilities, How sophisticated are you in the HR? How sophisticated are you on the financial side? Because that does make a difference. And then what's your appetite for risk? 
-hmm. and what's your appetite for control? Because again, both of those are central to any self-funded plan. You've got to have some appetite for both. And depending on where it is on the scale will drive you either towards ESO or TPA. And then past history. What experience have you had? Have you been self-funded? Did it go well? And then what industry you're in? There are certain industries that don't lend themselves very well to self-funding. Ones with extremely high turnover, for example, they're much harder to manage. And then the final spot I would say to that is your geography and your employment demographics. So Again, you've got to look at that. If you've got one plant in Youngstown, Ohio, with 400 people, that is a completely different profile than seven locations around the country in five states with a 1,000 people. And so all of those things have to be taken into consideration. And now we're kind of bleeding a little bit from the TPA into the advisor and broker space. But those are the kinds of things that need to be considered when people are making those choices. So I guess there's multiple things going on for that employer and the broker as they're selecting a Buka carrier, SO carrier, or a TPA. Do you see the market for TPA overall continuing to grow over the next year, three years? Are those employers that were traditionally doing buka why will they switch to a tpa going forward so the answer to your question is yes i do continue to see growth in the tpa space and i think it is going to continue even further and there are several proof points around that well first of all just look statistically at the last five to seven years the growth in the self-funded marketplace but the growth in the tpa piece of that self-funded marketplace has been marked. Now, granted, a lot of that growth, if you look at it, has been in the smaller end of the employer swimming pool. But as these TPA consolidations have happened, more private equity investment has taken place in the space. What we're now starting to see is TPAs that are evolving that can compete with the ASOs. So I think we're going to start to see even further transition in that marketplace. One other point I would make is, and this is another point, a proof point of where we're going is, take a look at the carriers buying TPAs because they know they have to have that flexibility to offer to their clients. The latest, of course, and largest that we've all seen was HCSC buying Trustmark. So we're going to continue to see that. And having been an executive on the blue side, running the commercial side for blue business and having insured ASO and a TPA, that TPA is important because, Ramesh, when an employer is making a choice to say, I'm going to go from ASO to a TPA, those carriers now want to have that solution to offer. They want to be able to say, it's okay. You don't have to go to XYZ TPA. We have one for you. So that's going to drive growth as well. So they'll just migrate those customers to their own TPA offering. But let's say you're an independent TPA, a larger one with sophisticated offering. How do you compete, differentiate against those Buka carriers, particularly if the Buka carrier has a TPA operation as well? 
Well, it's interesting. And again, that is a great question. The lines of demarcation have narrowed quite a bit. And it's kind of funny because I tell people the larger TPAs are starting to look more like ASOs and ASOs are starting to look more like TPAs. And so we are certainly narrowing that differentiator. But the truth is that A's can differentiate in a number of different ways. The primary ones would be as follows. One is flexibility, being nimble and flexible. Even the ASO side of the bukas, it's difficult for them to do that. If you are a thousand life case and you go to UMR, you do it the UMR way or you don't do it. And I think TPAs have that intrinsic capability to be nimble and flexible. So that's number one. Number two, I think, is value. You've got to be able to communicate value. And value nowadays, in the old days, it used to be, I have an admin fee that's lower than the ASOs. That no longer flies. It really now comes down to what can you deliver as far as the overall cost of the plan and managing the cost of that plan. So we have to deliver that value. And then I think the other piece that differentiates and makes TPAs stand out is their ability to integrate. They are usually much more flexible with their technology and their systems, and they're able to then partner with the right point solutions as needed or embed them, whereas the big ASO uh, carrier platforms are not quite as nimble. Now, I say that. They're working hard to get there as well, Ramesh. But right now, I think that's an advantage that goes to the TPA. Yeah, we're going to come to this integration point that you've mentioned as well. I want to dig into this communicate and deliver value. Obviously, it's something that TPAs have prided themselves. In the past, it was always administrative fees. You keep lowering that, lowering that. What do you suggest? Is there a framework a TPA should be thinking about in terms of delivering value and then showcasing that value yeah this is the this is a really central point and a critical piece of success or failure for tpas and their growth the value that is purported to any prospective employer oftentimes is based on assumptions and both the bookers and tpas make assumptions And unfortunately, in our industry, there now seems to be a very haphazard, very light approach to, well, we save this and we save that and numbers that are thrown around. And so what I would say to TPAs is what's really important in showcasing your value are four things. You've got to identify specific, unique values that you have or at least show one where you've had tremendous success. You need to develop substantiated data that proves the value and then tie that to case studies. And I want to repeat that, substantiated data. You can't just have arbitrary percentages. So I had a client the other day that was talking about a buka and said that the buka, one buka said they had a 52% average discount and the other one said 61. And it happened to be in a market that I know really well. And it made me laugh because neither one of them are achieving those numbers. They're not even coming close. 
So we have to be careful about that. The third thing would be you then need to develop a marketing plan around that success story. And you can't just do it once. I see TPAs do that a lot where it is a case study. They did it. And then three years later, they're still pitching that case study. You've got to update it and you've got to make your campaigns around that story be constantly evolving. And then the last thing is you've got to package multiple services together. This is the integration piece for the higher value so that you will always have the ability to drive that higher value. Because if you're competing with the ASOs, they have that built in and they have some advantages. Many of them, they're actually controlling the risk and the risk portion of it, whereas you might be using with your broker an outside reinsurer MGU. They have integrated programs that are built in, MSK, PBM, etc., built into the ASO. You may not. So you've got to find a way to tell the story of how those things are working and why they're successful. And again, you have to substantiate the data. Mm. So I almost see a four-step or five-step framework here, which is you pick a value driver and you drive, deliver success on that metric, that specific driver that you may say, look, it's X or Y, and market it, but keep it fresh. Don't just have the case study from three years ago. So market and keep it fresh with new ways of delivering that. And then overall, think about packaging multiple solutions as well that are directly also showcasing or delivering or controlling risks, which might lead to all this MSKs and other kind of innovative solutions and packaging it well enough. So it's also a good member experience, but more importantly, it's packaged and tells your story. Yes. And this is where I would put out a a point of caution to all TPAs. I was working on a 10,000 life group recently and met with the CFO and he looked at me and showed me a proposal from a TPA that will remain nameless. And on that proposal, there were 31, I repeat, 31 point solution selections that they were asking the employer to choose from that threw them out. They were the best TPA, in my opinion, for the job, and they lost the business because of that. We have to find ways, if you're using third parties, which obviously TPAs do, we don't expect TPAs to be experts in everything. So if you've got a PBM, if you've got a musculoskeletal group, if you've got a mommy and me program, whatever it may be, I think where TPAs have to get better is finding ways to integrate all of that into a single package. Because if it's confusing at the CFO level, imagine what the member experience is like. I've got a knee replacement. I've got to go to a separate website. I've got to call a separate number. I've got advocates there. I've got TPA advocates here. I've got PBM people here. It becomes this, if you will, chapino that nobody can figure out. So... That is my caution. And I think that we've done, I'm so proud of TPAs for the fact that they have assembled a lot of these partners. But I think the next step now is to integrate them. 
And I know single sign-on is expensive. I recognize sometimes it's difficult to get these things done. It's training, taking your um, customer service and your member service group and having them trained. But always, I think for TPAs, the magic is to say, if I were a member in this plan, would this be comfortable to me? So there's a big area, it's all packaging, selecting the right solutions, packaging it to communicate that to the CFO, the buyer, but also to ensure that the member has a simplified experience. And only once you have done that, you might actually be able to, again, showcase the value of all this unifying the member experience and showing data that those solutions are being used, those solutions are driving down the costs or risks, whatever the metric might be. Precisely. And it is the multiplicative effect of those integrated partnerships that then causes the TPA to overall be more competitive than the ASO. So it is, it is, it sounds simple, but it's not. Making it happen is difficult. And then communicating it appropriately is the hardest challenge. And sometimes it's made even more difficult by the brokers and advisors who may have a favorite point solution or a favorite concierge service that they want to use, which then makes the TPA have to go through other challenges. But what we're learning as we watch this migration is that's the important thing. And I spent about three weeks in October interviewing some of the larger brokers in the country, asking them about this very point. And it's funny because none of them knew I was talking to the others. And they all told me the same thing. They said, we are suffering from vendor fatigue. We're approached by point solutions literally four times a week. And what we're really looking for is TPAs to bring us ASO-looking solutions with much better performance. So this is pretty interesting, Larry. I think what you're saying is, Brokers are saying, simplify my world as well. I don't want that many solutions. The employer is saying, I don't want that many solutions. And so it's really, it's a ball that the TPAs have to grab and run with it to say, look, here's my select solutions and I have vetted them, I've integrated them. If you want anything outside this, well, you'll have to pay and you'll suffer the time it'll take to integrate. But here are my selected, integrated that can deliver the value to you, bouquet of solutions. Is that kind of what you're basically prescribing that don't let the broker drive you around. They're actually wanting the TPA to actually drive this ship around now. Well, I think it's a careful balance, Ramesh. You have to be careful because you can't, look, 96% of all self-funded cases have a broker and those brokers control the business and, you know, God help people who have tried to go around them and eliminate them. The carriers, the bookers have done that many, many times and failed. So I'm not suggesting that. What I am suggesting is that the TPA has the unique position of two things. One, being able to do the integration, which is technological and otherwise, but they also have the unique position of where they can actually analyze the data and they can tell the good, the bad, and the ugly. And TPAs have 
morphed over the last 15, <coughs> excuse me, years, That's where they have said, oh, I'm just going to be everything to everybody. And what we're now hearing is that employers are saying, no, what I'm looking for you to be is that true professional that has your hands around all that's going on in the industry, has the information and the data, you've analyzed it, and you've come back and said, here is a plan where I know these partners of mine combined with the services I provide will deliver this value. So you can go in and say, Mr. Broker, absolutely. If you'd like us to use your favorite PBM and you'd like us to use your favorite concierge service, et cetera, et cetera, we can do that. But recognize that the value the employer might receive from that is not guaranteed, first of all, because we don't know that. We've never worked with them before. On the opposite side of the page, we do have a group that we have put together that is integrated, and we have substantiated proof that it can deliver it. The other thing I would say quickly for TPAs to remember about all of this point solution stuff is the more that you stratify your offering to an employer, the greater chance that you are going to have attrition. Singular solutions are what have kept employers with bukas, even though the services have been subpar. The last thing that HR and CFOs want to do is to go through changing all these things. And TPAs have to understand that you take a risk when you choose partners. And that's why I suggest so strongly that you have to really dig deep before you choose them. Because if you choose a partner that does not deliver the way they should, you could end up losing all the business just because of one partner that didn't do it right. So that's the caution that I give. Another reason why integration works. And then I'll point to the third one, which is it's just a matter of business sense and volume. If you have 100,000 members with one specific PBM, you're going to have a much different relationship with that partner than you would if you have two 100 life cases. And, And I think that's important. We just have to remember some of those very basic, and I'm hoping I'm not going to bore your audience, but I think that TPAs have kind of lost sight of some of that. Yeah. It's a period of consolidate your partners or solutions, point solutions, or at least integrate them in a way that allows you to package, but then also to showcase that value, analyze that data and showcase that value. And sounds like the other point you are saying is more and more, you have to be able to drop a solution if it's not delivering value and it shows in the data, but it should be easy enough for the TPA and the employer to see that data. Correct. And also, it's important to recognize that if you are a TPA and you have seven MSK point solutions that you're offering, that is a clear sign to the broker, advisor, and employer that you have not done your job because you can't have seven. You have to have gone in and done the data and the work and the analytics to have figured out which of those seven are the best. I can see a TPA justifying and saying, I have two, 
because these two are the top performers in their space. But not all seven can be winners. And I know in our modern world, we shy away from ranking things. But in the real world, employers want that ranking. They want to know that you have actually gone down the path and done that work. And again, I stress this, TPAs, it's worth doing the work because it increases your value. You are then the trusted value partner in that melee of partners. They look to you for those solutions. And I think TPAs have slid away from that. And I've seen many of them where it's the tail is wagging the dog. Larry, you mentioned one of the really important points earlier, stop-loss credit. And I want to bring our discussion, you know, you may have these solutions, you can package them, you can show the value. But if you are able to tie it into a stop-loss credit, it just totally blows the game into a next level. How should a TPA do that? How do you propose they take steps towards packaging all of these solutions and getting this credit? What are your thoughts? Well, there are really two pieces to this financial model. I said one was getting the stop-loss credit. The one I did not mention, which I will not mention, is TPAs have to be willing to put some skin in the game. They have to be able to put their fees and their compensation at risk as well, because that guarantees, if you will, to the employer that they've done the homework. So if a TPA comes forward and says, I've got a cost management solution, UMCM, DM, I have 50 nurses, and we can deliver 3 to 7% savings on your claims every year, they need to be able to put some of that at risk to prove to the employer that that's true. So then the second piece is the stop loss side. Now, stop loss is driven by, rating is driven by actuaries and actuaries are a group of very smart people and they don't suffer fools. You've got to have, again, go back to the data. You've got to have provable, substantiated, actuarially credible data if you expect to get a stop-loss vendor to give you credit, particularly to give you credit going in, meaning saying, I'm going to give you a 10% discount because you have shown that these programs together work well and you will save those dollars for me, the stop-loss carrier, in the long run. Getting them to do it on the backside, meaning after you've proven the savings, is obviously a lot easier. So convincing them to have a better renewal rate after you've proven what you've done for the prior year is less complex. But back to getting them to do that up front, it really requires putting together data sets that are actuarially credible, working with a very, very select group of stop-loss players that you know and trust and that are willing to go through the exercise with their actuaries to evaluate the data that you have. It is a long process. When we did it at AMPS, it took us a year to get those stop-loss vendors where we wanted them, and there was a lot of data involved. So TPAs need to think about that. And then again, going back to what we talked about earlier, this is why you have to pick very carefully what you're going to choose to be your primary valued 
showcase. So that's, no, that's what I'll say. Lots of thoughts there to think through. The second, which is a very hard thing to do also, is to put your own fees at risk or have a metric that you sign up to. Any recommendations on what should that metric be? Is it just savings and savings over the 12 month period? How should a TPA put their own fees at risk? I think the most common way to do it is based on performance metrics. So I've seen models, the simplest that you see quite a bit. Here is a set of SLAs. And based on these SLAs, if we don't perform to them, we will refund a portion of our PPM fees. That seems to be the most common in the marketplace. I think it's a little bit non-innovative, if I can say that. I think that it's much more interesting if TPAs have really done the work to put their fees at risk by charging fees that are based on savings. Now, there is some complexity there. If the TPA is a name fiduciary to the plan, then it's difficult because the ERISA regulations don't allow for you to be paid based on savings. But most TPAs are not. And if they're not, then they should tie it to savings. That way, all boats rise with the ocean. And I think more and more of the high-performing TPAs are starting to offer that to brokers and advisors to say, I'm willing to say I'm going to save you 8%. If I don't save you 8%, instead of taking 25% of the savings, I'm only going to take 15 or whatever the metrics are. But we think that those are pretty innovative ways to go. And again, What's the message behind that, Ramesh? The message those TPAs are then saying is, I am confident in what I can deliver. I've done it. I know it works. And I'm willing to take that risk because I can prove it. So obviously you're saying it's not easy, but they need to spend the time looking at all of this and then come up with their own metric their own offer and not take it lightly and maybe consult you or others or just go out there and just start working on it sounds like absolutely and stay flexible nobody says you have to have one flavor of ice cream i mean you certainly can have multiple ways that you price your tpa services so i'm not saying that you do one only but i think you have to read your audience and you've got to go in to your broker and employer and understand what their appetites are and what they're interested in and i think if i can just quickly say this i think that's another area where tpas have fallen off the apple cart i can remember tpas 10 15 even 20 years ago doing much deeper dives with their broker and employer prospects to really learn what they are after and what they want before just throwing out a proposal. I see TPAs today that will get requests from a broker and the broker will say, tell me about your admin services. And within a day, they'll flip back around and put out a, a PPM cost with a fancy proposal behind it without knowing anything about it. So I think one last and major question, and it's a very big thought that you are outlining is, how do you really capture value for all of these things that you as a TPA could be doing in 2023? So my question is, what are the steps a TPA could take to go down this journey? Because uh, there may be TPAs at different stages. Some haven't done the analysis. They haven't thought about the solutions. They haven't packaged it. 
And I, I wonder, like, if you had to take a step back, what are the three, four steps a TPA should be taking to go down this path of capturing more value? I think the first for all TPAs is to do what I call a 360 view of their own company and an honest one. A lot of TPAs are so busy doing what they're doing, they're really not paying attention to what their value truly is. And an MPS score is not doing it. An MPS score usually is based on one simple question that's asked after a member experience. That's not deep enough. So I recommend to all TPAs, small and large, you've got to look inside first and truly objectively evaluate where are your strengths and weaknesses. And if you can't do that, then hire someone like me or others to do it for you. But the first step is really to have a clear picture. Where are my strengths and where are my weaknesses? Then from there, you really have to say, what am I willing to invest in changing or strengthening my value proposition? And what's the outcome from doing that? And then once they have that, then they have to really go into what I talked about before, which is you've got to have very specific details of what your value is. You have to show the integration. You have to, and I always say this to TPAs, kiss, keep it simple. You cannot overwhelm either your broker partners or your peers. They have to be able to easily understand what it is you're doing. And then we've got to be able to package all that and tell the story appropriately. So is it a lot of work? It is. But I believe those that go down and take this journey are going to be the ones that will see the greatest growth in 23 and will establish themselves going into 24 because aside from growth, they're also going to see lower attrition. So there you have it, our listeners from Larry. I think it really... We had a nuggets of some amazing ideas on how to think about delivering value, capturing value. Larry, any last thoughts for our listeners and how can people connect with you? I would just say that people can reach me through my email or phone numbers. And most importantly, on LinkedIn, they're all there. And I welcome working with TPAs as I know so many of them. The other thing that I would end on and just say is that a lot of what I've talked about may seem like it's only applicable to large TPAs. That is not true. Small TPAs have the same issues and challenges, and they can garner quite a bit of market share by doing this. And then the last piece I would say is to be very careful not to get too myopically focused on any one particular cost containment tool. It is the multiplicative effect of all of those that you can pull together, analyze, manage, and deliver. That's what makes a TPA much better solution than a Buka or an ASO. Well, that's wonderful. Wonderful. Well, this is great. Thank you so much, Larry. I really appreciate your insights here. And thank you for taking the time. My pleasure. Thank you, Ramesh. We would like to thank your host, Ramesh Kumar of ZakiPoint Health. Our guest, Larry Thompson, and the sponsor of this podcast, Ikigai Growth Partners. Please join us again for another podcast in the series brought to you by HCAA's Voices of Self-Funding. 
Please like and share on your favorite podcast platform so we can build a community of like-minded professionals. And tell us about topics and speakers that we should bring to you next. Please watch your email for updates on upcoming podcasts and guests.